2: Podcast. My name is Dimitri Filipovic and joining me is my good buddy, Mike Johnson. Mike, what's going on, man? What's going on? I can't believe
0: we're, we've come this far in this crazy year and they're, they're finally at the, uh, the final series, which is which is good, but it's not like it's, we've escaped COVID even the news before game one with uh, Yoel Armia maybe missing time or on the COVID protocol list. So it's, it's, we're close to the finish, but it's still a reminder how, how insane this year has been.
2: Absolutely. Well, I'm sitting here in my apartment. Enduring a 40 degree heat wave, which for Vancouver standards is unprecedented. So I'm just sitting in my apartment, profusely sweating here. I'm, so I'm basically ready to talk about ice hockey. It seems like a natural transition for us.
0: Well, if the final's got to be in Tampa, then it does seem like a natural transition because Tampa in July is no joke. I played down there one year and I remember I went down for training camp and moved in kind of late in late August. And it with the humidity, it was awful. So uh, it'll be a challenge with the ice and everything else. But yeah, it's the middle of summer. It's a heat wave. So let's talk finals.
2: Let's do it. So here's the plan today. We are going to preview that 2021 Stanley Cup final, which is set to start on Monday night. And uh, we're going to just bounce around and talk about some interesting matchups, what we're looking for, kind of how we see it shaking out, uh, similar to what we did when we previewed round one of the North division. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so let, let, let's start it off. I, I think when thinking about this series, it really, I know it's kind of, Um, The natural storyline is sort of the David versus Goliath in the sense that you've got this team looking to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. Everyone is very happy to point out that they're $18 million over the cap and they're basically as loaded as you can have in in the salary cap world for an NHL team. And then on the other side, you've got this team that was one goal away essentially from losing pretty meekly in round one. And certainly no one really expected them to make it this far. And so I think it's going to be positioned as that. But even in terms of these sort of X's and O's and the on ice matchups and sort of how these two teams are going to stack up against each other, it really in my sense, it really is a rife with with tasty matchups from, you know, from an individual scare level to a sort of power play versus penalty kill. So I'm going to open the floor for you here. What's um what's the number one thing you're kind of excited about with this matchup in terms of seeing how it, how it plays out?
0: Um, well, I mean, I think on a, a matchup, that's not really a matchup. Of course, it's going to get a lot of attention is the goaltenders. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think Andre Vasilevsky has proven to be the best goalie in the world the last couple of years. Um, I don't know if he wins the Vezina again this year or whatever, but, uh, j- just the fact that he's been so good the shutouts in the, in the series, clinching games, his numbers are there every, every series, every round, and how, who will be better and who has to be better and, and the pressure or opportunity for Carey price to his reputation has probably not been quite in line with his performance the last couple of years. Now his reputation is deserved from what he did earlier on in his career, but the last couple of years, he hasn't been the best goal in the world. And yet many people still equate him with that. But I look at it as this though, they, Given what, given what he could do in this series, if he's able to win a Stanley Cup and check that last box on his resume, he'll probably have to be the better goalie in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just They don't play against each other, but just comparing the goalies kind of where they are, the, whoever is going to claim that, man, that mantle of the best goalie in the world and, and how, how good they would have to be individually for their team to get it done.
2: Well, and that's a good point in the sense that I think we saw that play out in round three where New York Islanders certainly benefited from having a massive advantage net in their first two matchups against Pittsburgh and Boston, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in round one Sorokin outplayed Tristan Jari and round two, Tukarask was hurt clearly by the end. And Semyon Verlama was very solid for them. And in one sense, goaltending is random and over a seven game series, you know, we can't really predict the performance and a goalie could just completely self-combust and get up a bunch of goals, but we expected the New York Islanders, they always have good goaltending under Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn. And so it wasn't necessarily a fluke. And then in round three, they essentially just ran into a team that had a better goalie in Andre Vasilevsky. And he proved to be the difference in that series, in my opinion. And so uh, I think that that it, it is kind of overly simplistic because there's obviously so much else going on. And especially in terms of like the offensive firepower for the lightning, Uh it's it's not necessarily an even playing field where you can just evaluate one goalie versus the other, but you really can. I mean, both have been pretty clearly the best two goalies this postseason, and both have been spectacular, but uh, I think it's even fair to say that, you know, the, the Canadians have been so good defensively in, pre, in front of Price that you could argue that what Vasilevsky has done uh, with the Lightning's five-on-five play in front of him has been even more impressive in terms of um, just his performance performances postseason. I think people would sort of lean towards saying, "Oh, Price has been the best goalie," but Vasilevsky right there. I really think it is kind of one and two in either order.
0: Yeah, exactly. And 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 whoever wins really won't decide that. But it just you know, for Carey, who's not been to this point before, um, he obviously has had great success. When he's been in the biggest moments, whether it's World Junior or the Olympics or whatever it might be. Um, but he's not been there uh, in the Stanley Cup final. So, so I want to just kind of see him. But I think you're right. And I think that's an important um, kind of point to make about this series is that this idea that Tampa is so talented and so overwhelming with all their good players, their $100 million, that they will just roll Montreal, that's not really true five on five. That's true in the power play. Yes, but you have to kind of separate five on five play from the power play because at five on five, Tampa is good, but they're not blowing teams out of the water good. Um, to the point where, you know, Montreal would not be able to compete with them. So I think it's important when we talk about it to kind of separate the five on five stuff versus the the power play penalty kill.
2: Well, I'm not sure if you bumped into this, but certainly from what I've seen online, the framing of it is a bit strange to me, where it's like everyone decided that we're going to go into this one narrative and then we're just going to stick with it, regardless of what the, the numbers actually say. Like, no doubt, Price has been spectacular this postseason, right? He's got a 934 save percentage, he's got plus nine goal save above expected. Like, he's been fantastic. But the way it's framed is, oh, Carey Price has carried this Canadians team all the way to this point. And whenever you talk about their performance as a team, everyone just kind of goes back to the common denominator of what well, Carey Price is doing everything for them. Whereas when you talk about Vasilevsky's performance, it's like, oh, well, look at the team in front of him. He's obviously putting up good numbers. And certainly they had a great defensive effort in game seven where they gave up fewer than 20 shots on goal to the, to the Islanders. But he's got plus 14.5 goals saved above oh. expected this postseason and the same save percentage. And so it's not mm-hmm. a matter of, oh, the team in front of him is so loaded at 5-on-5 five five that any goalie could do that. It, it's pretty clear that Vasilevsky is playing at as equal high level, if not even slightly higher than Price. And I think both guys deserve the credit for doing so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, for Kerry, I'll say, yeah, he carried them through Toronto. Like they, they don't get through Toronto without Kerry Price being exceptional, but he yep. didn't have to be great against Winnipeg and even against Vegas, there were some games where Vegas carried the run of play, but there were some games where Montreal did. So I, I hear you hundred percent, but you know, maybe for, maybe for some media members who, who didn't follow Montreal closely enough, or maybe didn't pay attention to the North closely enough, or maybe don't want to dig in because Kerry Price is such an easy, sexy, obvious story to latch onto. Uh, if you were able to win the cup, that it was all him and the Patrick was shades and all the rest of it not really been the case and and you look at the numbers you just talked about them um both guys have been really really good and they both had to be good at times but also not had to be you know spectacular every single game so um so so yeah i i I would expect them both to be still good (laughs) the rest of the way so maybe the, the the winning and losing components of the series will come down to something else besides golden
2: and and my one final thing on it they both sort of um reached the highest level of playing that position, in my opinion, as a novice watching goalie is not necessarily fully understanding all of the technical components of it or sort of, mm-hmm. you know, playing the angles and stuff. There there was this one play, I think, at the start of that game seven for for the Lightning where they clearly were dominating the Islanders. They had pretty much all of the shots in the early going. And then the first real look the Islanders had was an Anthony Beauvillier breakaway. Mm -hmm. And it looked like he was going right to left and he might've actually been able to sort of sneak one by Vasilevsky. And he just kicked his pad out in that sort of patented form of his and just basically gave him no room to shoot. And for me, both of these guys really this postseason have made it look so easy at times that I think it's kind of, as a fan just watching at home, they make the save look so effortless because they're in such a good position and and they're just kind of the, the swallowing up the puck that it doesn't look like this crazy highlight reel save where they're flashing the glove and putting all this flare on it. And so maybe we're just not appreciate like it, it's it's making us it look so easy that we're not appreciating the greatness of the save because we're just kind of expecting them to do so. But in reality, like they're making all of the saves they need to be and then some.
0: Well, but I think that I mean, again I'm no goalie expert either, but the fewer, say, if you put up good numbers and the fewer highlight reel saves you make, the better you're probably playing because, you know, you're reading it clean, you're moving well, you're not giving up bad rebounds. The things that result in you having to make that diving glove save or, you know, flying across your stick in the air, you know, if you're on top of your game, you're not having to do that very often and both these guys are certainly on top of their game. I will say this, though. I think the one, uh, this number that, that Carey Price is so big, and he is, like, he's a big, strong, like, physically big guy Vasilevsky's bigger Vasilevsky is a is is a bigger heavier player than Carey Price in that so it, it's one thing to consider like they are both very big goalies a little may maybe a little bit more you know moving more moving parts in his saves than Carey Price but both clearly have figured out exactly what they need to do
2: yep okay um my next my well my first matchup that I'm watching for and, and I think yeah Bryce Vasilevsky is obviously a huge one is Braden Point versus well, Braden Point's line, including him, Kucherov, and Palat mm-hmm. against you could you could say Philip Dano's line with him and Brennan Gallagher. You can lump the Habs uh top four defensemen in mm-hmm. there as well in that matchup game, especially because we've seen so far this postseason what the Habs have really excelled at defensively, is making everything around their net a no-fly zone, essentially where If you're trying to do any sort of inner slot passing, they're there to break it up on the passing lanes. They're clearing the rebounds. They're not really letting you live in the paint there and they're making life easier for Price in in doing so. And on the other hand, you know, Greenpoint has these highlight reel plays where obviously his skating is terrific. I think he's right up there with the McDavid of, of the world in his ability to score from in tight while flying at absolute max speed. And so what he does there is remarkable, but it kind of distracts from the fact that he's one of the best net front guys, in my opinion, in the league as well, where he, if you look at his goal chart, it's pretty much all kind of living around the net, either accepting one-timers from Kucherov or getting rebounds or sort of scoring from in tight. And it's such a contrasting style of, you know, the Habs clearly are going to put in every effort they can to clear him out of there and he has made such a, a habit of basically living there that it's going to be this real battle uh, kind of push and pull for that prime real estate. And I'm curious to see how that's going to play out.
0: Yeah. That, that would be the first one you latch onto to Dino versus his points and um, points line has carried the bulk of the offense uh, consistently throughout this playoff for, for Tampa at five on five. And I guess at the, on the power play as well, but Uh, You you mentioned what makes Tampa so good. And you watch those guys play. And yes, occasionally that they can score off the rush, but we also know Montreal is, you know, one of the best teams defending the rush. They very rarely get caught up by They don't give up three on twos. They don't even give up two on twos. They always have extra numbers and bodies back, but what makes point and Kucherov so dangerous and hard to cover. And, you know, you watch them, you're like, Hey, what would I do? And you realize they put you in bad spots is that they, they string you out and then they open up seams. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, Kucherov's willingness and ability to kind of play up and around the perimeter of that, that area between the tops of the circles where the forwards like to hang out, you know, he goes in there, um, and then his ability to pass the point that, that, that is what they've done. But that's also what Montreal defends really, really well is that they don't let you get anything going through the box. They don't let you get anything through the slot, those inner slot shots you just talked about, um, that that'll be, that'll be the push pull. Like, you know, can they make point play in his own end and defend when they get in the offensive zone, they will. Um, can they keep him to the outside like they have everyone else and keep everyone else away from the net. And the other part about Braden point that I marvel at is that, yeah, I understand he's not a, a big guy per se, although he's like thick and strong is that when you watch him play, he does score a lot in and around the net. Right. But he doesn't stand there to get like, he, his, he darts, like he arrives on the scene at the right time for the puck and the shot, but he doesn't hang in there and kind of let guys hit him and slash him and, and battle him like that. And so that'll be interesting because if you got Sherrod out there or Edmondson or Weber, and you know, he's not really standing still where they can kind of just box him out, but he's, you know, he works from it behind the net and he comes across to the far side, but he pops into the space at the right time. That is a harder cover for defensemen, especially big defensemen who don't want to chase anywhere outside that kind of slot area, they want to wait for you to get in there. Then they tie you up. But his chemistry with Kucherov is so good that the puck arrives when point arrives. And then he does really good things with it in those areas. And and that's, I I want to see how Montreal defends him when he does that, because that will be a different kind of challenge for Deneau and for those defensemen that will play against him. So, um, and in many ways I've said it on air, we talked about it a lot. Like you think the way that, that line has taken away the best weapons of the other team. Matthews Marner, one goal combined, Montreal wins. Connor Ehlers, one goal combined, Montreal sweeps. Stone Pacharetti, one goal combined, Montreal wins. Like, if it's Point, Kucherov, one goal combined in this series, I think Montreal wins the Stanley Cup. So, like, that, that's how pivotal this matchup will be. But Point, the way he plays around the front of the net, is kind of different than maybe the way some of the other guys play. He's better at it, and he gets better service from Kucherov at it. And so I wonder if Montreal will be as effective
2: as they have been so far. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And, and you know, has there been a bigger winner this postseason than Philip Deno? Uh,
0: well, I mean, like, I got, he's, he plays number one centerman minutes. Yep. But he does not score. And at this point, he's done such a good job. Nobody even cares if he scores. Like, it's an absolute afterthought. Now, I know he makes a brilliant assist for the, yep. the overtime winner to, to close it out to get to the final. But, like, it, you're right. Um, you know, I, I think he had a, I think he had a tough time dealing with the fact that he was going to get maybe a slightly diminished offensive role mm-hmm. heading into free agency. It's a big year financially for him and, you know, trying to embrace, okay, I'm just going to play defense and the, the numbers won't be quite as there, but I want 25 million bucks. I might not get it if I only get 20 points. Um, but in the playoffs, none of that matters. And you can show like how he on a, as a, I guess a third line centerman as a checking center, whatever you want to call him. Um, He is as good as there is in the NHL at just stopping the other team's best forwards. You're right. I think perhaps something he's been good at, you know, I've been around the Montreal Canadiens for a few years now, like that line with Gallagher and Tatar has kind of been one of the best play driving lines in the NHL for like three years. Mm -hmm. Now they don't finish you know, with the, the, the same you know same rate as some of the other better lines, like Bergeron's line or whatever. But they turned they pushed the play into the offensive zone, generate the chances, generate the shots. And Dano has led that and had some decent offensive years, but he got pushed down the depth chart by Suzuki and by Kakanami a little bit this year. And um but you're right, I think I think people are finally cooling into just how great he is defensively. Cause he is really one of the very best.
2: Well, it looked like he'd really made a bad business decision when it was reported that he turned down yes. a pretty big contract offer from them. And obviously he struggled quite a bit offensively this year. I believe he only scored five goals. He like suffered a concussion towards the end of the regular season. It looked like it was, it was really going in the opposite direction, heading into his one real chance as a 28 year old or whatever, to, to get one massive payday. And this postseason, he's played 324 total minutes. He's got zero goals. He's got three assists. One of the most recent one obviously helped him uh close out the, the Golden Knights, as you mentioned. But if you're like another uh, you know, if you're his agent, you're loving this because you're watching these broadcasts and they're talking about how he's winning all of these draws and, and how he's doing all this stuff. And and it's just with each passing game, it seems like probably the, the market for him, I assume, is increasing. And and it is deserved. Like if you look at it. He hasn't scored at all offensively, obviously, but he's been on the ice for 44 of their 86 penalty kill minutes. And we're going to talk more about Mm -hmm. their penalty kill here in a bit. He's taken 400 draws and I know they can be certainly overvalued on these broadcasts, but (laughs) he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting there for them, where he's been out there for 182 defensive zone draws at five on five and only 62 offensive ones. It's it's pretty clear what they're asking for him. Uh, In 185 on five minutes, his postseason with him and Gallagher on the ice together as as sort of a one-two duo, the Habs are up three-nothing, which is remarkable to me considering the opposition they've gone up against. And if you look at it in round one, he was on the ice for 72 of Austin Matthews' 128 minutes. The goals were only one-nothing for the Leafs, and the Habs will take that any day of the week if they can keep them to just the one goal. Mm -hmm. In round two, he's on the ice for 32 of Blake Wheeler's 66 minutes. The goals are two-nothing for the Habs in that time. And in round three, he's on the ice for 47 of Mark Stone's 91 minutes, and it's completely scoreless. And and I thought especially what he did in round three, uh, the combination of him and Jeff Petrie, I'll say, because when they had the two of them out there as kind of a, a tag team, they were at their very best defensively. What they did to Mark Stone in that series was something I didn't necessarily even think was possible. I'm not sure how banged up Stone was or what was going on there, but they made him look about as ineffective as, as I've ever seen Mark stone at a, at a five on five mm-hmm. level. And, and so for that, I, they deserve all the praise they're getting on these broadcasts.
0: Yeah, they sure do. They sure do. And, 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 you know, obviously, you know, the margins being tighter and, you know, the focus is just about winning. So it doesn't matter if you score or not, you know, you're it's able, you're able to kind of disregard the lack of production because you can appreciate the contributions in winning in other, in other areas. So yeah, that, that will be, that will be the matchup. And, and to know, um, you know, he, he, he prides himself on at this point. Like, you know, this is it. This is what he, this is what he's setting his sights on doing. He knows he wants to play against that line. Now, the question I also wonder is, you know, will John Cooper try to work to get away from that matchup when they are at home? Because there were times where, you know, the Leafs didn't try to get away from it thinking our guys are just good enough. We're not going to worry about it. And I don't think Paul Maurice likes to, you know, mess around with his lines too much as far as matching. Our guys are good enough. Don't worry about it. Same with Vegas. Uh, and eventually they did start to worry about it. I wonder if right out of the gate, does John Cooper say, you know what? We're at home. We're not going to get too creative, but can we, will we try to uh, keep point away from deno as much as we can within the flow of our, of our, of our normal rotation?
2: Well, that interplay is, is tremendously fascinating, especially from a stylistic perspective. You we were kind of hinting at this earlier, but what worked for them, I thought against stone there was, you know, Mark Stone was doing his usual thing of he was kind of like disrupting plays and getting a takeaway or, or winning a puck battle. But what makes him special normally is his ability to instantly turn around and hit, you know, Chandler Stevenson flying through the neutral zone or Max Pacioretty for a chance and kind of turn that defense into offense immediately. But what the Habs were excelling at was even when they'd lose that initial puck battle, Mark Stone would turn around and there'd be just another Canadians player another basically on him. Always. And they were kind of this like gang mentality of the two-on-ones where they were just instantly disrupting him and making life hell for him and getting the puck back. And we'll see how if Kucherov is limited at all physically um, or, or what he'll be at uh, throughout this series, but it's a different stylistic matchup in the sense that I'm not necessarily sure you want to be sending extra guys at Kucherov. Cause we've seen throughout this postseason that he'll gladly make you pay by just hitting the open man, which usually is brain point around the net. And so you don't want to, Kucherov's not the type of player you want to get into that chasing game against where you get out of position a little bit because you're so intent on neutralizing him, which makes him obviously so lethal offensively. So I'm not sure what the, what the correct answer there is in terms of attacking him defensively, because you don't obviously want to give him time and space because he'll make you pay that way. But if you overcompensate and try to send too much attention his way, he'll also make you pay. So it's kind of this like pick your own poison. And I'm not necessarily Uh sure there's a right answer.
0: Yeah. And Kucherov does a nice job finding kind of quiet ice where if you want to try to get a second body around the initial defender as well, like you're going to have to pull yourself out of position. Like it's one thing once you start getting down towards, you know, the, 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 the area where they're trying to get to, there's always going to be bodies around there. And I would advise Montreal to, you know, you're going to sag off the defense. You're going to try to help with, you know, forwards, sticks and bodies and lanes and um, helping to make the pass and for the body for end pucks to the, to the slot harder to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're not going to take Brennan Gallagher and say, okay, you know, I'm going to go help fill the no down in the corner because like, that's not going to work. But uh, this is all predicated to him on, on Kucherov being healthy. And, he, you know, he was joking on me today. What are you talking about? I had no injury. <laughs> he played 40 seconds in, in game yeah. six. And I watched him very carefully in game seven. And he wasn't right. Like he was, he was not going into battles, which I understand. I'm not criticizing him for. He was trying to protect his body and get through the game. They were not starting him in on defensive zone face-offs. They were not going to put him in in his own end where he had to battle along the boards to get a puck out. They were trying to change him on the fly where he can get lost in traffic and no one was going to touch him. Now he looked like he passed and shoot okay, but the puck battle, he, his body wasn't quite ready for that yet. Now you know a few days will help, and hopefully as he goes along he gets healthier. But you know it's hard enough to play at this time of year with the degree of physicality and the tension he's going to get when you're when you're right. You know if he has some fairly significant rib injury it's going to be that much harder and so i'll be you know that that will matter that will matter if he's not healthy it's going to be it's going to be of course much more difficult for him to to shake free five on five now on the power play where he's got a little bit more time that'll be fine but five on five if he's not healthy uh it's going to be it's going to be tricky for him
3: every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today just go to indeed.com slash blue wire that's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply cost per application pricing not available for everyone need to hire you need indeed
1: champions aren't born they're made and the secret to make your business reign supreme shopify the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at Shopify.com slash BlueWire, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash BlueWire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash BlueWire.
2: Well, something I'm I'm really curious for your opinion about here is... um, you know, so much of these matchups and, and these series are predicated on the team that wins, is usually the one, especially if they're two very stylistically different teams, the one who can sort of get the other team to fall into the trap of playing the way they want them to play and sort of executing their game plan best, right? And we saw that uh, play out in round three with the Canadians and the Golden Knights, where the Golden Knights had 56% of the five on five shot attempts. The shots on goal were 162 to 137 for them. But that's exactly what the Canadians wanted, because if you look at the high danger attempts, they were Uh heavily in Montreal's favor. And I thought what they were doing was really smart in the sense that they weren't necessarily sort of packing the paint, but they were making it so difficult for the Golden Knights to maneuver into dangerous areas that they ultimately wound up sort of settling for all of these point shots and... You know, Alex Petrangelo was pretty clearly, in, in my opinion, their most dangerous offensive player. And he wasn't necessarily just settling for low percentage point shots either. He was moving around the offensive zone. He was really trying to aggressively attack in open spots, especially on those Ozone set plays where they were swinging it to him and he was stepping in to a pretty good look at price. But when you look at the five on five attempts and how they were sort of dispersed for the Golden Knights, it was so heavily... Um, Towards, you know, Theodore, Petrangelo, even Alex Mart Alec Martinez, where they were doing so much of the heavy lifting. And that's because that's exactly what the Canadians wanted to do. And they were very comfortable allowing them to do so, knowing that price would A, probably stop shots from distance that he could see. And B, they were essentially kind of treating them as turnovers because as soon as you shoot it from there, they get a chance to retrieve the puck and instantly break out the other way. Now the the lightning attack very differently, and they specifically tried to get kind of between the dots and funnel the puck into more high danger areas. so i'm I'm curious for your take on on how when a team is playing with the type of structure that the Canadians are, how do you how do you break through that strategically as opposed to basically just being like, well, this is going to be really difficult, so we're just gonna take what they give us because that I don't think that's gonna a formula for success.
0: Right. And, and that's, and there's, that's not an easy question to answer. If it was easy, other teams would have right, done it. They right? would
2: have done it. Yeah, exactly.
0: And so, so it's not, you know, it's not even to find an answer, let alone execute an answer. But I think a couple of things come to mind is that um, there will be, I think you have to be, there will be times where it's going to be hard to get it where you want to, where you want to, and you have to maintain, you know, discipline and patience. Um, you saw Tampa kind of fall victim a couple of times in their series where, you know, you get forced in the puck. Against the Islanders and it gets turned over and then you end up not playing in the offensive zone. So you, you have to be accepting of the fact that it's not always going to go the way you want, no matter what you do, that the other team is good. They're going to make it hard. So there's that. The other part I would say is when you plan the offensive zone and you, and you're trying to find looks into the, into the slot, into the high danger areas. And while you possess it, like don't make, even if you're not able to get the puck in those areas, initially don't make it easy to cover you like keep moving your feet, keep challenging and just don't keep working around the edges. Because I think a big part of having teams defend around the edges is trying to get them to take penalties, trying to draw penalties. Now that might be hard to do in the Stanley Cup final, but the way Tampa's power play is going, like if you can get two or three or four power plays in a game, like that might be more than enough to help you win that game. So I think drawing penalties is part of your five on five game plan. Not that you're diving around for them, but that you are, putting the defensive team in a tough spot where they're going to have to maybe try to hook or hold or interfere or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. So that's another part of it. Third element, I would suggest that you work um, the, the, the height of the offensive zone as much as the width, right? So I, I think the idea of finding those loose spots in between the tops of the circles, you want to put three across the top and then activating your defenseman and, 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 and having uh, the, your players go up and down, have your defensemen, you know, be more active. Get, we saw Petrangelo is very good at without getting caught without cheating. But, you know, he was involved in, in trying to, to jump into more dangerous areas. Don't just be willing to stand there at the point because I'm open. And now mm-hmm. I could shoot. Cause that's not really where you want to end up shooting all the time throughout a game for. So I would, I would definitely encourage that as well. Um, and the last part for me, and I think we'll, as I talked about Braden point is, there's going to be an emphasis on getting in front of the net, right? Get in front of Carey Price. Don't let him see it. We know he's had trouble with screens, like all goalies do. But you know, it's one El- elm area of the ice where he he hasn't been as great. Um, standing in there, posting up, unless you're Pat Maroon, I would advise against. I think Montreal has more trouble when you're moving, not when you're stationary. They want to slug it out. They want to lean on you, cross check you, box you out, make it hard and heavy and physical. But if you can you know, slash through Carey Price's eyes while the puck is on its way, as opposed to just standing there and let Ben Chirac reef on your back and get you out of there. That might give you, um, you know, some different opportunities as well. So I think a lot of movement in the offensive zone will be pivotal for for Tampa. And then you do all that, and it's not going to work all the time. But it just, I think, probably gives them a, a better chance to work more often.
2: Yeah, I just like watching that series uh, between the Canadians and the Golden Knights. How many times do we see a Vegas player like make a pass? Uh, in the offensive zone where they expected it to be a, a successful pass. And then like all of a sudden you would see Kotkanemi or, or Denno or any Habs mm-hmm. forward, just randomly stand. I mean, not randomly, like it was obviously by design, but like the, the, the layering of their defense for me, yeah. was, was so um, interesting. And on the other end of it as well, you know, you look at the blue line and certainly it's a bigger physical group and it plays into what they want to do defensively in, in boxing out and, and, you know, clearing the rebounds and not allowing the other team to live around the net, but you wouldn't necessarily think you think the trade-off is, okay, well, you know, they're going to struggle a bit more in moving the puck where you'll be able to forecheck them a bit more easily. And I I thought uh, such a savvy adjustment in in terms of the way they were playing and, and what really worked for them throughout this postseason is how much they've sort of shifted to these kind of quick breakouts out of their zone where you have and or Suzuki coming back. And it's a bunch of sort of short passes where they're stringing mm-hmm. three, four passes together in a row. And all of a sudden they're out and on the rush and it makes them so difficult to forecheck against. And so I'm really curious to see whether they're able to keep playing that way, because we don't necessarily think of the lightning as this huge forechecking team, but, you know, with guys like Gord and point and Cirelli, as we saw against the Islanders, they can really generate a ton of offense that way as well. And it will be imperative for the Canadians to keep, uh, you know, those zone breakouts that they've been doing so far. And and, and I've been wildly impressed watching them do so. So I'm really curious to see if they can continue doing that.
0: Yeah, and there's been a few that have resulted in goals. You're like, was that yep. just a five-pass breakout sequence that resulted in a breakaway? Like, yep. the stuff that we practice with no defenseman and even in practice at the NHL level, we have a hard time executing it properly without, like, putting in someone's skates or missing a pass. Like, you're going to go D, pop pass to D, to hit the low centerman to the wing, to the... Like, it's, it's, it's hard to do, and let alone with defense. But I think the one part that... where, where, where Montreal system um, kind of lends itself to that is that they have so many people around the puck, Mm -hmm. right? So like, you know, the the, the passes will always be short and you have to be willing to make 10, 12 foot passes and move off the puck. But because the wingers are kind of collapsing down low and because the centerman is always down around the pile and usually the two defensemen around the pile, like they're willing to kind of put those passes together as opposed to maybe, you know, where the wingers might be stretched out standing by the blue line and just maybe just chipping it out with the other guy kind of flying the zone. Because of the way they play defense, those passes are there. Now you gotta be on point when you do it because everyone remembers, <laughs> was it Eric Stahl had the terrible turnover. He put it right onto
2: Nick was Nick was stick. Nick stick
0: stick. Yep. because he was looking to initiate that kind of breakout. Then a little pop pass to the, to the weeks, to the weak spot in the ice. And um, if it goes wrong it can go wrong, but you're right. It's been um, it's been a nice part of Montreal's game uh, that they're able to, 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 to transition quickly. But we, we know this, like we know, well, Montreal has always been kind of a quick transitioning team. And we also know that if you get a team trying to get in on the four check because they can't skate in their own and they going to, if you can, you know, the third man for checking discipline is not always perfect because guys are trying to find offense and guys are trying to fight to get to the front of the net. And maybe you're fighting to get to the front of the net at the same time a puck turns over. Well, now you're on the wrong side of the puck. Like there are opportunities, even off four checks to go the other way. And Montreal's done a good job of it.
2: Well, well, I'm really curious to see if this continues, but in game seven, the lightning clearly made a very concerted effort, even though they only scored the one goal and it was a shorthanded goal at five on five. The NBC broadcast, I believe, did a great job of pointing out there was one five-on-five sequence where both Chernak and McDonough were behind the other behind team's the net, goal line, yeah. right? And there was so many instances where Victor Hedman was like Sergachev sprung Hedman for a breakaway after Nicoletti couldn't knock the puck down, and, and mm-hmm. they were doing all of this stuff where it was like, okay, they they clearly feel the need to get more aggressive and activate defensemen as you were talking about because otherwise they're not going to be able to generate a sufficient amount of offense and. I'm curious to see if that continues trickling into this series and if they keep playing that way because obviously when it when it, you know, works out and it looks good, it's it's fantastic, but when uh-huh. it doesn't, you're susceptible coming back the other way and and this Habs team, it's weird how everyone seems to think they're boring because they're defensive and they rely on their goalie, but they have one of the most fun attacks in my opinion in terms of strategy where they're basically just looking to counter every single time Uh, the 515 rush goals against Vegas were eight to one in their favor. And they were just burning them time and time again. Basically they were like, all right, we'll let Vegas cycle in the zone for 40 seconds here. And then we're going to turn the puck over and go down on a three on one or two on one. And they were doing that against Winnipeg as well. And so if they can keep doing that, and if they can take advantage of Tampa Bay's uh, over-aggressive play at 515, I think that's going to be a big thing here as well. And I could certainly see them burning them on on a few goals uh, just by doing so like that.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, they'll have to, again, we'll go all the way back. They have to beat a goaltender at the other end when they finally get those chances, which right. is no, no easy task. But there will probably be moments like that. We've seen against the Islanders where Tampa found themselves in, in games where they lost, where their puck management wasn't what they needed to be and their, their body position, their discipline was not where it needed to be. And Montreal will take advantage of that. And that's, that will be, a, in many ways, the push-pull of the way this, this series goes. And I think what Montreal has, has grown with over the course of this playoffs is that they're very comfortable. Like the Islanders have been now for a couple of years, like teams that play on their own end a lot. It's easy to get stressed out and, and, and kind of a little panicky because, you know, you just feel like you've been in there too long. Something bad's going to happen. Even when you're on the ice as a player, like you, you want to try to make a difference. So you're like, can I, I got to help get the puck out? The Montreal Canadiens have gotten way more comfortable in playing in their own end for stretches. And so, um, They they won't they won't uh, deviate from what they're trying to do even if Tampa does get some zone time. So it'll be on. I think the onus will not be on Montreal, but really on Tampa to try to try to maintain that discipline and not give them those those quick strike rush chances because they've been good at them.
2: But what I will say about that is the thing that I think I'm most impressed with with Tampa and there's such a it's such a long laundry list. Obviously, they have so many stars. Is how versatile they are in the ways they can play. Like I think Mm -hmm. we've even seen this postseason where they were very keenly aware of how dangerous the Panthers were in the transition game. And they were playing, I thought, much more conservatively in terms of making sure they had guys back and not just letting them get out and transition all the time. And then as the postseasons progressed, they've changed it up to the point where when they were playing the Islanders, they were like, okay, we're going to be much more aggressive here to try to break through. And so they're comfortable at this point uh, getting into any type of game, whether it's a high scoring shootout, where there's a ton of power plays, whether it's a 1-0 grinded out game like we saw in game seven, chaotic games where the puck's bouncing everywhere or tight structural ones. And so uh, I think that's when I watch them. What I'm, what I'm most, like the one big takeaway is, is being able to play these different types of games, especially over the course of a post season, because you're going to run into so many different types of opponents.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and and I think that really is an example of the maturity that the New York Islander or the Tampa <laughs> Lightning have now mm-hmm. in their game where, I think when they rolled through the league a couple of years ago and and they kind of admitted it when they were winning one, nothing they'd want to win five, one like they weren't, they weren't comfortable or kind of uh, content in staying in close games and low scoring games. Like they thought they kept having to score and score and score because they want to, because they're good and it's fun to, but I think also because, you know they probably didn't believe or trust that they would be able to win that game one nothing. That's not the way anymore. They, they absolutely can. They won a one nothing Game 7, even though they were the better team. With a shorty, um, they can play it physical. They can play it heavy. They can get chippy. None of that stuff bothers them. They, they are far more equipped to deal with the kind of ups and downs and stylistic uh, changes that go on in a series. So, so they'll be fine. Tampa is very, very good. They'll be fine no matter what's thrown at them uh, by Montreal.
2: Yeah, let's, let's. I can't believe we haven't talked about the power play versus penalty kill yet. Like forty minutes into this post podcast or whatever, because I I think that's clearly uh, going to determine how this shakes out. Where mm-hmm. so far this postseason, the Lightning were eight for twenty in round one, seven for sixteen in round two against the Hurricanes, and then five for seventeen—a very disappointing five for seventeen—against yeah, it the Islanders, uh, converting nearly forty percent of their power play opportunities this postseason. I think scoring like sixteen. Power play goals per sixty minutes or whatever, just all obscene rates, and mm-hmm. it all checks out. Like the, the the amount of ways they can sort of pick you apart and dissect you with that power play, and the number of threats they have is remarkable. You go on the other side, you've got this Canadians team that gave up a couple early uh shorthanded goals to the Leafs in their round one series, and then from game five on, I believe of that, they've gone thirteen games, fifty seven minutes and seventeen seconds, and thirty power play opportunities without conceding mm. a single goal, and They similarly, um, you know, they've got the big defensemen blocking shots and clearing stuff out, obviously, but then their forwards are so active in terms of trying to get out in transition if they can and attack those opposing forwards that are all of a sudden having to skate backwards and defend. And they've created a bunch of looks doing so, whether it has been Armia or Lekkonen or Byron. And so I'm really fascinated to see how that plays out because you know, the offic- officiating is obviously an entirely different thing. And I don't even want to waste time talking about that because it's it's so infuriating sometimes trying to figure out what w- is and isn't a penalty. But I think yeah. for this Habs team, they're kind of the trickle down effect of being able to kill off these penalties with the frequency at ease that they have allows them to maybe push the envelope a little bit defensively and be a bit more aggressive, knowing that, you know, they can deal with the consequences of it. Now in this series, it's going to be an entirely different animal in terms of the firepower they have to go up against. And I'm not necessarily sure they can continue banking on Gary Price stopping 952 or whatever of the, of the shorthanded uh, shots he faces, but they're going to need a similar effort because obviously it's not very tenable for them to give up seven, eight, nine power play goals in a series against the lightning.
0: No, no, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I think when I watch, when I watch that type of power play, so here, like, yeah, 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 I love watching the four guys work together: Headman, Stammer, Cooch, and Point. I'm not going to disrespect and he does a good job in front of the net. But those four guys touch the puck once they get set up, mostly. Yep. And and you know, I equate a lot. But I remember back in the old Capitals days when they had when they had Green and they had Semin and they had Ovechkin and and Nick Backstrom just ran it like an orchestra. Like whatever you want to take away, cool with me. I'll just go to the other option because I got lots. I got more options than you can take away. And I, and, and that's the way those four guys run, depending on where you want to press, where you want to take the seams away. They're all patient enough, smart enough, and on the same page to, to work for an excellent chance, no matter what you do, that's how good they are. Um, so that, yeah, you can't take a lot of penalties. You got to try to not, um, you know, not let them play in the offensive end. Once they do get on the power play. Montreal has been really good of course with their kind of initial zone entry pressure like they get they shrink that zone two defense in the corner they dump a forward in the battle as well they put the other forward just outside the pile they go four on three all the time on entry so like that's to me where the power play will be won or lost in this series like how well can Tampa get in, get in and get set up because once they get set up i think they're kind of gonna get chances they just will they just they're just too good But getting in is harder than getting maybe a good shot once you are in. So like that's to me, can Tampa either control it, like skate it in, or if they have to get a scrum, can they win a battle, make three quick passes on the stick, where Montreal can no longer chase, and all of a sudden now they're in their set and they're going to run it and they're going to eventually end up with a a point shot or a a stammer seam pass, whatever it is. That that, I think that's that's where I want to watch how they battle each other in that regard. Um, because that, that that's where the, that's where the specialty in battle be won or lost to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Um, um, all right. Is there any other matchups we haven't talked about yet that you think are, are worth highlighting here?
0: Um, well, I, I am curious. I, I like, I watched Eric Stahl play at the end of the year in, in Montreal mm-hmm. and he was not very good. Like I didn't, I just, I don't know if it was, you know, maybe just a little bit out of shape from the quarantine time and being in the hotel and everything else, but, I I did not think he'd be much of a contributor other than an experience. And, you know, he's been around, but just as far as tangibly on the ice. And I think that Perry, Armia, and and stall line has been good for them. So Mm -hmm. with Armia available, if he's not available, how does that impact that line? Because that line has kind of been counted on to to play in the offensive zone a little bit and and tilt the ice a little bit. So that'll be one thing I want to watch. And the other thing is for all the talk about the Tampa firepower, deservedly so, you know, the, the Suzuki Caulfield to Foley line has been pretty mm-hmm. darn good as well over the last several games. And they are going to have to be, because the, the Montreal is going to have to score. I and mean, I know they're perfect so far when it's two or more goals that they've scored, but they might have to win a game, you know, four, three at some point in this series, they can't win two, one all the time or three, two against, against Tampa. So that line's going to have to continue scoring. And, I want to just highlight Cole Caulfield. Everyone loves him. I understand why I was there for his first game. We fawned all over him and everything else. Like I get it. But, and, and the shot you could tell from, Dave, you know, when you go out there, you, you get there to a game, you watch the game. I can tell in three shots if that guy can shoot well or not. Like, you know, we, we watch enough. Like that guy has that extra little pop. It comes off harder. It comes off quicker. He can get it. You know, you can just tell. Yep. You could watch me shoot and you'd be able to very, tell very quickly. Well, that guy's not a very good shooter. Cause that I wasn't
2: that guy's an analyst.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, guy, that guy's <laughs> retired. But, uh, but I watched Caulfield I'm like, yeah, okay, he can definitely shoot, but I didn't know if he could skate. And I think that's, what's changed to me watching this playoff, whether it's tracking down a breakaway chance to settle the puck, whether it's d- dusting McNabb wide, he's a way better skater than I thought he was when I watched him his first few games. And that allows him to to kind of get his diminutive frame into shooting positions and get that puck off. So That line is going to have to keep on scoring. They probably will get played against Gord Mm. most of the time. That's a tough matchup. Those guys are difficult to play against. Um, And I'm just curious how they handle that degree of physicality, speed and pace that are trying to check that, you know, kind of consistent scoring line for Montreal.
2: Yeah, I will. If there's any concerns about whether he'd be able to play in postseason NHL hockey, he, he Caulfield has certainly put that to rest. I, I think even when he wasn't scoring goals uh, towards the end of the Leaf series and then into the into the Winnipeg Jets series, he was their most dangerous offensive player, I thought, in terms of the chances he was creating. And it seemed like he was due. And then sure enough, he scores four goals against the Knights. I think the, the Knights combined from their forwards got five total. Um yeah, it's it's the first touch, it's uh the lightning quick hands, his ability to sort of leverage defenders, and I think uh I'm going to be fascinated to see if there's any matchups with Caulfield coming down the wing against Hedman and his reach, and whether he's able to uh-huh. get in the inside of him and how right. uh, that size disparity works. Because I think you know if the Bolts are susceptible somewhere, it is it is their rush defense, and and yep. uh, if Caulfield can get out and, and and create some there, I think that's going to help a lot in Suzuki as well. I've been so impressed with. You know, I I think right now he's one of the best back checkers in the game, and uh, his ability to just constantly be in the right place and then, uh, you know, make something happen with the puck and the playmaking has been remarkable to watch. So I'm glad you brought those guys up because yeah, I think naturally when you highlight this series, it's sort of Tampa Bay's offense versus uh, Montreal's defense, but uh, those two are going to have their moments and and they're going to need to carry this team offensively and. So you you think they're gonna go for the matchup with Gord's line against them? Because I was curious to see how it would shake out, assuming that we'd get a lot of Dan over's point, and that the Lightning wouldn't even necessarily be too scared to to kind of shy away from it. That would open up an interesting dilemma of whether we'd see you know them try to get Sorelli, Stamkos, and Kloran out there against Suzuki and Caulfield, or whether they'd go for Gord, and then how it uh, what the trickle down effect is uh, you right. know between the middle sixes.
0: Well, I, yeah, it, it is interesting and I don't know if they'll be married to any one thing hard yeah. one way or the other, but I mean, if I, at first blush, if I'm John Cooper, whole I, so I'm probably going to try to get, if I can, I'm trying to get point out against, um, I guess, uh, not Dano's line probably, and Suzuki's quite good, but maybe Suzuki, maybe Kakanami, any, any other lines really, uh, I would put Gord on Suzuki and just say, make their life miserable, like in every capacity, right? Like just be a little, just be a little rat out there and make their life miserable, and then have Cockanamy and Sorelli soft and maybe Sorelli help a little bit because he's so good. But, and then the fourth lines can go up against each other is probably how I would look at it. Um, I know Sorelli is really good defensively, but Stammer, you know, he's, he alluded to him being healthy enough to play, which doesn't imply great health to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that line doesn't frighten you offensively to the same degree anymore. Um, so you know, they're probably going to try to find maybe some softer matchups for them where they don't have to kind of play on their own end to, to the same amount against like, dangerous players. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that goes and just how much attention they pay to it or, or how it works out. But I would probably go, yeah, go, if I could put Gord on there and say, just yeah, make their life difficult <laughs> in every way you
2: can. Gord wound up being Tampa Bay's most frequently used forward against the yeah. Islanders at five on five and you deservedly. So he was, uh, he was fantastic. Obviously scored the shorty and the only goal in game seven, but uh, he was so good, and so yeah, I'm. I'm uh, the idea of Gord versus lining up against either Gallagher or Perry in this series is hilarious to me because there's going to be <laughs> so many shenanigans after the whistle.
0: Yeah, the, the debate club will be out in full force.
2: Oh, so good. Um, all right, yeah, I think that's about it. I have the, yeah. for, in terms of stuff I've got on my list. Uh, and I think we covered it pretty well. It, it, it's it's going to be a really good matchup. I think the two yeah. teams uh, stack up so well against each other in terms of like. Ooh, this team wants to do one thing, but then the other Mm -hmm. team is 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 nicely positioned to try and at least give them a a difficult time to do so. So that makes for for an awesome playoff series. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: one more wild card for me, and I I got just I thought Jeff Petrie was so good coming back from his bad hand. Yep, like and you can tell it's bad because he doesn't want to cross check anyone with. And and I think you know as he gets healthier, I think his legs may be a factor in this series too for Montreal. Another guy to watch out for to kind of help supplement there. He's very good at reading the play and beating his guy up the ice. He's got pretty good feel when he's on the rush as well. So uh, another guy to watch for Montreal to, to, to be a difference maker if they're going to be successful.
2: He played 35, 5-on-5 five five minutes for Mark Stone, and the shots were 21-7 to seven for Montreal. It's
0: hard to even imagine. Minutes.
2: Uh, he was so good. And yeah, I, I know you on Twitter highlighted uh, you know, his gap control on one of the big goals Montreal scored. But yeah, he does that so well. And, and if he can get moving... Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good call. All right. Well, MJ, uh, I'm looking Never forward left. to I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a blast. Uh, plug some stuff where, uh, where can people check you out and what are you working on? Are you going to be, uh, on, on TV for some of these games on the NHL network or what are you doing?
0: Yeah, I will be, uh, I'm, I'll be with NHL network. I'm going to be in studio for the first couple of games and up in Montreal, which would be amazing to be in nice. the rink and in the city for games three and four and six. Uh, I'll probably be popping in on TSN as well. The usual XM radio shows will be on there and uh, anywhere else that they talk about hockey, you'll probably find me at some point in the next couple of weeks.
2: Hmm. All right. Well, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, enjoy the series and we'll, uh, we'll check back in with you sometime down the road. All right. We'll talk to you soon.
1: The hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey